0: Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Well,
1: good morning everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is just after 7.30 and of course it's time for the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy. First up, we have to say a very good morning to Graham Sargent from Silky's Rose Farm. Graham. You always manage to come in on Mother's Day and a big mother's happy Day, Mother's Day yeah, to everyone. For
2: the mothers. Yes. And, <laughs> and, and, he's bought, and he's bought us some roses. Yeah, well, there I, you go. <laughs> I've got plenty of competition in here, uh, I must say, out there, listeners. Uh, it's like looking across a greenery here. With yes, <laughs> we have got a lot of stuff here. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's really good. And, um, of course, the freeway is all being danced around this morning. Yes, yeah, so I ended
3: up having to come down Mount Alexander Road and mm. what have you this morning again because they've closed the city link there seem to
1: be more and more fun runs these days
3: well this is just I think freeway renovation's right. still going on. Oh, okay. So I'm hoping that it will be finished in due course. I mean, in one breath, I'm really pleased that they're actually doing something with our roads. In <laughs> yes. the other breath, it's so frustrating. And mm. uh, I hate when I hear that beep go off and I'm travelling along at about 60 kilometres an hour, uh, mm. and you think, well, I thought you paid for speed <laughs> on a freeway, <laughs> and you don't get it. And, mm. yes, yeah, so I, I do object to paying for driving slowly. Yes. Or getting caught in traffic. I yes. don't think mm. that's fair. But anyhow. Oh, well. Yeah. Yeah, so freeways, yes. Well,
1: yeah. So, a very good morning, good Stephen. Right,
3: <laughs> uh, and yes, it is. It's going to be a lovely day, so we should all be out enjoying our gardens, uh, looking at stuff. Um, I spent a little bit of time last night when I got home from work, having a quick walk around my garden, and surprising what wonderful things are, are happening, even as you go into the sort of winter period. There's all sorts of lovely things flowering. There's Sasanqua Camellia's is out, there's ornamental oxalis is out, there's cro- I've got autumn crocuses in flower, I've got masses of cyclamen in flower. Uh, so there's all sorts of things going on at the moment. So uh, if you've planned your garden properly, you should have lots to look at. So there.
0: And a very good morning to you, Virginia Haywood. Good morning. I'm, ex- I'm doing a walk at lunchtime at the Botanic and okay. it's going to be hell because there's a fun run. So, so I'm going to have to walk in to do my walk. Right. Oh, there you go. You'll
2: get lots of exercise, Virginia. (laughs) Mm. Well, it's it's interesting, isn't it, how how we tend to revere the the sporting world, and I should not decry them at all, people getting out and and out. I can't understand.
3: I think it's an oxymoron saying fun and run in the same sentence. (laughs) Uh,
2: And and in actual fact, tourism Australia tell us the biggest. Recreational activity in Australia is actually going for a drive in your car, Mm. followed by tourism, um, followed by cultural activities, and then the sporting world. So the sporting world is ranked third in in the popularity. And I suspect that people love to go for a drive in the car just to get away from things and to get away from electronics. Mm. And to see the actual green. Green is such a relaxing colour for for all of us. And, Mm. And the landscape. And we don't really pay a great deal of of tribute to that. No. I tell you you what, though, I would
1: have thought that... that cycling was uh, getting up there because
4: oh, yes. the number of cyclists
1: <laughs> you, oh, you meet on the roads yeah. and I mean I can't walk the dog without fear of being run over by a couple of bikes that yeah. come speeding through well, I they don't say, believe in yeah. shared paths no,
3: and up on, the, uh, up on the mountain on, on weekends uh, the cyclists going up and down it's just incredible there's masses yes. of them and when I was over at Tesla's a couple of weeks ago on Sunday mornings trying to get from, from uh, Alinda to Sylvan mm. uh, Um, you had to run the gauntlet of hundreds of bike riders. They just Mm -hmm. seem to be everywhere up in the Dandenongs at the moment. So, um, yes, it has become something of a... I would have said obsession for
0: some people by the it's looks still, of it. It's mm. still better than when it was... I mean, at the back end of the Yarra Valley, it's bikes, mm. motorbikes.
5: Oh, right. Going
0: through the bush. Mm, and that's much worse. Oh, yes. Oh. True. Yeah.
2: Mm. Well, the greatest fear, of course, is for any motorist, um, and if you're driving a vehicle, that you'd run into a cyclist, you know, like it's... And you... Sort of imagine that, and you think, oh, mate, I'd hate to hit one. Mm. Mm. I've been really hit. Would.
0: I really would. I ended up with two fractures in my skull and a hemorrhage in my brain mm. and was taken into hospital across a picket line. It was not good. Mm.
6: Goodness not me. Not pleasant.
0: Mm. No, no,
2: no.
3: But it, it does have other
2: health-giving benefits, I'm <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, dear. Mm. Oh, dear. Ah
1: well. That was our wind for the morning. <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> yes, we had a whinge.
1: <laughs> Graham, we should get back to the roses because people obviously think about buying a bunch of flowers yes. on Mother's Day. Yeah. But if they buy a living plant yes. and particularly uh, you know, a rose is always memorable. Mm. It's 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 mm. become a, a you know, a tradition mm. to give roses yes. on Mother's Day. Yes. Um you've got all your stock there at the moment, haven't you? Mm, yeah. So maybe well, a trip up to the farm today.
2: Yes, there's there's roses still still flowering, and to to buy a rose in a pot and then plant in your garden, we you get p- so many people say, years and years and years down the track, oh I remember when I got that rose, I mm. remember who gave it to me, and you know sometimes there's there's even roses that are given and it can be um re- very emotional and tearful because people. Um, plant a rose because they've lost a baby or they've lost a friend or, the, and like the rose remember me is very popular and mother's love is very popular. And, um, we've just spent a day in South Australia at, at uh, Danny Knight's, um, rose nursery and not rose nursery. It's uh, N- rose enterprise. <laughs> and, um, Danny now is supplying, of course, a lot of the, um, um, miter tens and, uh, bunnings. Uh, with bare-rooted roses And the roses that he's had um, In packages Are actually magnificent mm. And um, they're really well grown And the interesting thing is That he's using microbes um, On the on the uh, plants To actually feed the plants And having a great uh, deal Of really good successful growth
0: But surely Graeme You have bare-rooted roses Because they're dormant Yeah Well my roses are in bud They're certainly not dormant Yeah, yeah. I would have thought buying a bare-rooted rose at the moment was a bit nerve-wracking.
2: Um, well, no, they can, they can be packaged up, which they are, are available for sale now, and they have been for the last two, two or three weeks. And um, when they're cut back, they're still able to be planted quite successfully. And, uh, of course, we recommend um, people use liquid seaweed. Mm. In fact, we'll give a guarantee to people who use liquid seaweed on their plants as soon as they... They plant them. And the liquid seaweed actually feeds the microbes in the soil. So it's, you know, it, it, roses in dormancy um, are okay.
0: Except that they're not dormant if they're in bud. And I have got mm. buds. Yeah, but when they cut
3: them back, they're fine. Yeah.
2: yeah.
0: But they're still alive.
3: Oh, yeah. But yeah. You... I mean,
0: extreme, they're still active is the word mm. I'm looking mm. for. Mm. Yeah, you're mm.
2: right. And, and 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 it is true. That their activity with the roots in the soil is still going on. We think that roses... Uh, it, go, it goes with the thinking is that, Oh they're dead mm. In dormancy But they're not They're mm. active mm. And oh, yeah, their They're still active. moving Still doing stuff Yes yeah. mm. so I yeah.
1: mean if they were, they were dead There'd be no point in planting
3: <laughs> 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 Unless you're doing yeah. A dried arrangement Yeah, yet. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: But uh, obviously If roses isn't your thing Stephen I think People should still Also consider A, a live yeah. plant As a gift Rather than a bunch of flowers I
3: think so And look uh, and And I would even fall back on the position that if you are struggling to work out what plant somebody might want, I mean, if you go to Grahams and you buy a rose and you find out that you bought a yellow one and the people you're giving it to don't like yellow, uh, so it may not even be about the plant itself, it might be about the colour or whatever, yep. um, then get them a gift voucher or take them out and get them to choose the one they like. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and um, yeah, and, and any plant, anything that's green and alive can be quite commemorative and and, and and add to value in your garden. And or and a enjoyment. tree. Yeah. There's nothing yeah. better the than, a, a, than tree. a
1: keepsake yeah. with a tree. Well, I've
3: got a guy coming in to see me today. He rang me yesterday. He wants to buy a tree. His uh, wife just gave birth recently. And okay. So they, they want to plant a tree for their Baby daughter yep. uh, that they've just had, which I think is really sweet. And, I think it's lovely. Uh, and as that child grows up, if they're still in the same place, they'll be able to say to their daughter, "Well, that was planted for you when you were when you were born, and look how big it is now." Uh, and it engages kids with nature, and yeah, I think there's a lot of benefits from oh, doing things like that. Totally. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. So get out and buy a tree for Mother for Mother's mm. Day. Why not? Indeed, I mm. think so. Yeah. Just hope she doesn't live to ninety-five because her garden will be really full by then. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, the, the greening of things and the, the, the need to bring that relief into a lot of our architecture and, of course, as you come through the, the city in Melbourne and you see the multi-storey buildings and you're able to say, well, what can they do to um, make that softer with mm. plants? Mm. And uh, even indoor plants are, are a real advantage and we know that they're a benef- benefit to our health. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. yeah.
1: Good. Okay, I'm going to... We don't have many community announcements because things seem to be winding up for winter. Everyone's going into hibernation. But uh, there are a couple of things I should mention. Um, firstly, uh, Friends of Burnley Gardens have got their uh, botanical art workshops about to start up again. Now, these seem to have become almost an annual event. Uh, now, it's... Uh, as I mentioned, it's a botanical art workshop um, with Marley Moore... Uh, they take place over May and June, so there's four sessions of two and a half hours each. Uh, the medium will be watercolour pencils. Um, it has a small class size, and uh, the workshops are for uh, members of Friends of uh, Burnley Gardens and, and their friends, uh, and it includes the opportunity to have your botanical illustrations included in a soon-to-be-published book on Burnley Gardens. So there's Oh-hoo. an incentive. Mm. Wow. Fame. Absolutely. <laughs> Don't know about fortune. but
3: No, no, there won't be any fortune involved, I'll guarantee that. Yes. Yeah.
1: Anyway, the details are that they, they start Wednesday the 24th and 31st of May and then following on uh, the 7th and the 14th of June. So as I mentioned, four workshops in all. Uh, The times are 10am through to 12.30. So that total uh, for the four sessions, the cost uh, for members of the Friends Group, $200. For non-members, $240. The venue, of course, is Burnley Campus down there at 500 Yarra Boulevard in Richmond. Uh, Parking, there's a rear car park off uh, FR Smith Drive. And bookings, of course, are essential to book. Um, you can phone Janine. Her number is 0412-097-068. I'll repeat that number, 0412-097-068. And uh, you can uh, book. Now, bookings and payment in full must be made by Friday the 19th of May. So not much time. So if you're interested in that um, uh jump on the phone and have a talk to Janine about it. Okay, uh, coming up on Saturday the 27th of May, uh, Werribee Park's autumn plant sale is on. This will run from 10am through to 3pm. You enter via Gate 2, which is uh, the main visitor car park. They'll have over 1,600 plants grown by the Friends Groups There'll be fruit trees and edible plants from the Heritage Orchard. There'll be assorted shrubs and perennials, and there'll be herbs from the community garden. So that's all taking place Saturday, 27th of May, 10 till 3, enter via Gate 2 down at Werribee Park there. And finally, um, Open Gardens Victoria, they're also going to be winding up for winter, so a last chance to go and visit uh, two gardens that will be opening next weekend. Uh, the first one is Ivy Lee, which is at One Wild Duck Way in Whittlesey. Now, this garden is a large, peaceful, country cottage-style garden. It contains many deciduous specimen trees, which should be in full autumn glory, such as Manchurian pear, crabapple, tulip tree, golden elms, pin oaks, five varieties of silver birch and 12 species of roses. Now, the garden contains several structures of interest, including the central fountain in a circular driveway, ornate wooden arbour, a train track pathway and an elevated chook house. The vegetable garden is sizable and highly productive. Now, also on the day... Uh, there's going to be ice cream and coffee for sale. I find that a strange combination, but anyway, there we well, go. Well, you can have
3: an avogato. <laughs> <laughs> there'll
0: no, be one's for the, the parents and one's for the children.
1: Uh, which way around are you going to put that? <laughs> oh, I'd give the kids, kids the coffee.
3: coffee. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: <laughs> there'll also be cut flowers and local produce for sale and there'll be musical performances. Now, the garden is opening uh, in support of the Otis Foundation. Uh, now, the other garden that's opening is also in the uh, similar area. It's Oak House Garden. It's at 1434 Whittlesea Yay Road in King Lake West. Now, uh, again, opening next weekend, 10 till 4.30. Uh, uh, cost is $8, dollars uh, under eighteens free and students $5. Now, the garden at Oak House... Um, Garden has uh, fully recovered from the Black Saturday 2009 fires. It's a woodland garden containing many rare and unusual specimen trees and shrubs and a large collection of succulents and cacti housed within two glass houses. Now, the garden has spaces to linger in, to picnic on the lawns, or to wander through the recovered bushland. There'll also be photographs on display which show the pre and post. Fire landscape so that's those two gardens opening next weekend as usual um, we have been offered a free double pass uh, for either one of those gardens Um, if you'd like to uh, phone in and get one of those double passes posted out to you do give us a call the number is 94190155 that's 94190155 and this will be your last opportunity to visit uh, uh, open gardens until about the middle of September. So um, <coughs> one last chance to go and, and have a wander through a couple of excellent gardens. And it sounds um, that both gardens have got lots of autumn colour still there for you to have a look at. That number again, nine four one nine zero one double five. Okay, well, it's time we invited our listeners to join us. Um, Again, that same number, if you'd like to ring and ask a gardening question this morning, 94190155. Graham, because we were talking roses, tell us a bit about the one you've actually brought in this
2: morning. Uh, Yes, I've got one here, Pam, which is, again, uh, the tintern rose, and I've spoken about this before on 3CR, and the great thing about it is it is a a real, what I call a fair income ground cover, It'll cover right down to the ground and, and keep weeds out. Um, it spreads um, love, you know, magnificently along the ground, and it's, it's an orange colour, and it'll get around about um, uh, 400 millimetres in height, so about knee-high. Okay. And it's also got a perfume, and uh, bred by one of our good um, breeders, or when I say our, he's uh, an English breeder, um, Chris Warner and he's released a lot of other roses that have been very successful in the rose trials in Adelaide, being gold medal winners. So it's a really good rose, and um, being Tintern, of course, some of the profits from this rose go to the Tintern College in Melbourne.
1: Okay, okay. Well, it's certainly in full flower and bud at the moment.
2: Mm, mm. Yeah, it's a good rose, and and we have a lot of customers who um, give us feedback that they've done some planting with it in in areas that have been um, pretty marginal and uh, the feedback's been really good.
0: Marginal in what way?
2: Oh, the soil's been um, fairly shaly and, and, um, you know, clay and that right. sort of thing. And, um, and in areas where there's, there's, um, on slopes where you, you get some runoff, that mm. sort of thing. And it can be grown from cuttings too.
1: Okay. That's
0: and, always good. Yeah. Yes.
1: Excellent. Not
0: extra good. ground cover. Yes, exactly.
1: <laughs> cover a whole bank. Yes. Mm. <laughs> Wonderful. Okay, let's move on to some of your plants, Stephen.
3: Well, I decided this morning to do some textural plants, things that have interesting foliage and texture. And when I started pulling things out, I suddenly realised I was going all around the world. So that's sort of part of the thing as well. Okay. So I've got here from South Africa, uh, uh, South African thatching rush allegia uh, capensis in its greyish form there's also a deep green form of it um, and it's a plant that loves water uh, and it can go into water but it can also dry out a little bit for periods as long as it gets inundated again at other times so it would seem to me to be a perfect plant for around a large pond or dam that has different water levels mm-hmm. you know, as the dam goes down in the summer because a lot of marginal bog plants need to be kept damp all the time yes. and of course in which, australia it's really hard to keep our water levels
0: no you just can't do it here y- can you, you can't no. really
3: unless you've got a spring fed dam or something which not many people have um uh, uh then it's unlikely that you're going to be able to keep something damp all year round particularly in high summer when it's most needed yes um so a legion <laughs> would be perfect around a large pond or dam um it is um uh Monoecious, so that means there's male and female forms. Um, so it won't even set seed if you've only got one, so it can't sort of take off. Is it weedy if no. you've got both? Uh, I don't believe so because hmm. you also need a bushfire first as well uh, <laughs> because its seed is stimulated by smoke hmm. uh, in the wild. So when the, the, the um, what do they call it, the finbos, catches fire in in Africa, then the seed of these allegias will drop to the ground uh, and, and germinate then, but otherwise they don't. So the chance of it ever being particularly weedy is slim, and of course I'm growing them from division, so all mine are the one sex. So, Excellent. So there's no way I can be, even if you buy 10 plants from me, they're not. I don't know actually whether I've got a female or a male form, but it really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Um, and when they do flower, they get these heads of um, coppery-coloured, um, seedy-looking things at the top of the stem. Uh, so the flowers aren't uh, showy, but they're actually very attractive, these sort of coppery and they're sort of shiny. So if the sun shines on them, they glisten. Okay. And the foliage is also, or the stems, I should say, because it's not really foliage. Uh, the stems are lovely, soft and, and fluffy and feathery and they make fantastic cut foliage for, for vase work. In fact, in Africa, they're selling a lot of it to the to the flower markets in Holland and places okay. like that. It will last in weeks, uh, or four weeks, I should say, in water. So if you're looking for a lovely, soft, fluffy, feathery foliage to use for floral artwork, a um, uh, leegycapensis could be hard to toss and it will get to about a metre and a half tall uh, on a well-grown plant and the clump will eventually get to about a metre wide. Um, It'd
0: be perfect for my my dam which I've got at the bottom of my garden because it just goes down so far in yeah. summer. Mm. Um, it's the same principle as canners really isn't yeah. it?
3: Yeah yeah, mm. they can do the same sorts of things. So yeah. so Pensis, so it's a South African thatching rush. Um, it's in the Restonaceae family, so it's related to a genus that we have here as a native, which is the Restio genus. And they're sort of rushy, almost horsetaily looking plants. Yeah. Um, uh, but they give wonderful texture. They, they're quite good in a big pot, especially if you sit them in a saucer of water. Uh, but you'd need a reasonable sized pot. And the only warning I will give is that their rhizomes go quite deep down, and it's not a good idea to try and lift and divide them. They resent disturbance anyway, so you're likely to divide it into five and lose three. Um, And it's really hard to get out of the ground once it's in place. But it will hold the soil together really well, uh, so it's a good binder. uh, And it's better not to disturb them once you've got them going.
0: So you keep yours in pots, do you? I keep
3: my stock plants in pots because mm. uh, that way I can break them apart more easily. Uh, once they get out into the ground, it's just hopeless. Uh, mm. You just get this dense mat of fibry stuff. And it's, it's hard to even put a spade through. Um, so when I'm dividing them, I take them out of the pots, I wash the roots clean, and I actually cut the rhizomes apart with a pair of scissors uh, and then gently tease them apart. I cut them back really hard. I pop them up. I still lose some. So I don't get 100% take with the rhizomes that I've divided. Um, And they generally take about four to six months to really start to get their vigor back again. So you certainly don't want to do it on a regular basis. Mm. So it's one of those plants that's not that easy. I mean, you could propagate it from seed if you could get seed. uh, But then, of course, you don't know what sexes you're going to have. So so, although I still see it as being very minimally uh, weedy potential, uh, you completely stop that if you're growing it from divisions and only have the one sex so it's a completely benign plant when you do that Mm. Uh, and it looks stunning by a pond or dam with this lovely fluffy sort of um, uh, reedy look about it Mm. so it's a good plant
0: they're in the south african bed in the botanic gardens if anyone wants to go and have a look at them
3: i don't know whether the botanic gardens has got the grey one I think the one that's in the gardens, I've seen it down there, it's beautiful, it's the, it's the rich green one, mm. so it has bright green stems and dark green foliage, and this one is sort of slightly glaucous, so it's got a slightly bluish stain about it all over, um, and I got it. I think I got it originally from Lyle down at Rorama Nursery. I think right. this one. I'm not sure now. I don't. Mm. I remember somebody bringing me the pot in though. So I don't remember whether it actually did come from Lyle or where it exactly came from. Uh, but it's a beautiful plant. Um, and I love the restios. When you see them out in the in the fynbos in, mm. in South Africa, they are iconic plants. They're just beautiful things. And um, and of course, coming from South Africa, they're very attuned to the sort of climates we have here. As long as they've got the potential to get damp. Yes. part of the year yep. so really good plant so that's the South African one I bought
1: okay where uh, are we going to next I think
3: we'll go to Taiwan <laughs> 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 because we jump. can yes that's a jump uh, this is actually a rubus so it's a I guess a blackberry uh, yep. in a sense uh, this is rubus rolfii from Taiwan and it's a little ground cover plant and so it spreads flat to the ground it only grows to about I don't know about four or five centimetres deep, but it can make a mat about a metre or two across. Uh, It will root as it goes along, so again, it's a good binder. Of soil. Um, it won't climb up things or clamber over things, so it just makes this lovely smooth mat across the ground. And I could see it being a lovely thing, sort of covering a bank or something like mm-hmm. that. I mean, I wouldn't put it in your little rock garden or something because I think it would eventually take over. Um, but if you wanted something that will cope with a bit of semi shade through to more or less sun, uh, it doesn't like to get deadly dry. Um, but um, as long as it has a little bit of ground moisture, it makes a wonderful little carpeting plant under things. It'll get little white blackberry flowers on it occasionally. I've never seen it a berry um, so I've never seen any fruit on it and I wonder whether our climate's not cold enough for it to set fruit uh, or maybe it has a specific pollinator I don't know
0: and Macedon not cold enough
3: yeah well yes that's right exactly Macedon it, you'd think if it was going to do it anywhere it would do it, it would at do our it place there, yep. but I've been growing this plant for oh it must be 20 years or more um, And I find it a really good little ground cover. It just follows the contours so, you know, it will creep down between rocks on the edge of a bed or whatever and, you know, sort of just grow out flat across the ground. Um, It's dense enough that... At least a minimal leaf fall will drop in amongst it, so it, it won't normally get swamped by leaf litter dropping on it, which some ground covers will, especially if they're growing back under trees. And these. Yes. I think if you've got a really dense uh, leaf fall over it, it might struggle through it. Uh, but it will, you know, if you planted it under a birch tree or something, the birch leaves would disappear down into it and, and rot away. And it's just got the most beautifully shaped and scalloped and heavily veined little leaves, which I find very appealing. In cold areas, and we haven't really had a frost up there properly yet, but when when you do get frosts on it, like, like wild blackberries, the leaves will often get a burgundy-ish colour through okay, them. Yes. Which can be quite pretty in the winter. So it's not a showy plant, but it's, it's subtly attractive, and, mm. and I quite like it. And um, this is a poor man's blackberry, <laughs> as opposed to a rich man's blackberry. Uh, and uh, I just think it's a, a charming little plant. And, and as far as I know, it, well, it comes from Taiwan. It may come from mainland uh, Asia as well, uh, but it certainly is known from Taiwan. Is it prickly? No, it's got no thorns on it no at thorns all. No thorns at all. No, no, it's completely thornless. Uh, and it doesn't
0: really look like a blackberry. It, no, doesn't, it doesn't look doesn't. anything like a blackberry. But no. then,
3: when we say that, when we have a concept of a blackberry, I mean it's just one species within a vast genus. Oh yes. And there's oodles of Rubuses out there. Yep. Um, and some of them don't look anything like what you would expect of the genus. Uh, so, and we've got some native ones. There's a, a little creepy one like this that comes from Tasmania, uh, Rubus gunnii, okay. which is like this one in miniature. Again, it has tiny little leaves and just makes this tiny little flat mat on the ground and I had it for years and it, I think eventually it did get mulched out or something and I lost it so I probably should try and replace it again because it was quite a cute little native one mm-hmm. um yeah so Rubus gunny eye, if you're looking for a, an Australian native one that creeps along the ground you you could plant that but coming from Tassie I think it needs a bit of a damp cool spot
4: fair
1: enough yeah You are are listening to the 3 CR Gardening Show. We're running through until 9.15, our usual time slot. If you'd like to uh, join us and ask a gardening question this morning, we'd love to hear from you. The number is 94190155. That's 94190155. We have Stephen Ryan, Virginia Haywood and Graham Sargent in the studios this morning. So if you want to talk roses or any other plants, do give us a call. We'd love to hear from you. Okay, back right. to our trip
3: around the world. All right, well, then we, we might as well come to Australia, um, and there's a genus of plants, uh, the Lamatias, um which are in the Proteaceae family, so they have sort of grevilleary-like flowers on them, um, which come from Australia and South America. So they're one of those Gondwan and connection plants, and this is the finely form of Lamarcia uh, Tinctoria, which in Tasmania is called guitar plant, and I'm not quite sure why, uh, but again it has this wonderful textural foliage, it's a little slightly suckery shrub, it'll grow up to probably eventually about a metre uh, has white spidery Grevillea-like flowers on it uh, and just really pretty leaves uh, but again, because it's a Tasmanian plant it's not particularly drought tolerant um, so it likes a slightly moist and perhaps spot that's out of the hot afternoons sun mm. to grow it well uh, and most of the lamatias do grow quite well as understory plants um, and um, yeah they're just texturally interesting pretty little plants because they're in the proteaceae the, um, uh, the birds love them so you know the honey eaters and things will come in when they're in flower and they also make a nice sort of Massive fluff, really. Um, <laughs> uh, they're just pretty leafed things. This, as I said, this is the fine-leafed form. There is another form of it with much coarser foliage. Um, and there are other species. This one's only quite small, but um, there's one called Lamarsha fraseri, which I've been growing for donkey's years. That gets up to about... Four metres in a big large shrub, and I've had it in the garden for years, sort of in underneath the canopy of large gums and blackwoods. uh, And it flowers every late spring with its massive white spidery flowers on it. Uh, It's got very pretty textural foliage. It's a really great plant. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, so it's a genus that I'm particularly fond of and most of them seem to grow really well in the sort of foothills of the Macedon Ranges, so they suit me quite well. Um, and they don't seem to get leggy and spindly if they're in a little bit of shade like some of our showy natives can. Yes, so, yes. Um, right. uh, I find them a, a great group. So I think I've got two from Tasmania. Uh, Actually, it's funny, I can't remember where Fraser I comes from, but it's, I think it's mainland, but I don't know exactly where. It could be up in New South Wales or something. If Roger's listening, we'll probably get a phone call from Gwen any minute. Um, and, um, yes, yeah, so I'm always on the lookout for other species in the genus. Uh, and the final plant I brought along is, in fact, another species in the genus, but this is one of the South American ones. Okay. So this is uh, Lamatia ferrogenia, and this can grow easily to four metres. Uh, I've seen them in cool Irish gardens, even substantially bigger than that. Um, really quite tree-like in Mm. form. Again, it has lovely leaves, these really pretty, uh, intricately cut um, uh, foliage. Uh, And when this one flowers, it has a flower almost the size of a Grevillea robusta flower, and it's a bright red with whitish stamens that stick out of it. And it is breathtakingly beautiful. Sounds beautiful. It is stunningly beautiful. Having said that, Lamia ferrogenia would be one of the more difficult ones to make happy. It likes a good, damp, um, compost enriched, humusy soil. <laughs>
0: If you've seen it huge in Ireland, yeah. I mean, one thing you can say about Ireland is it's wet. Yes, it is That's wet. That's right. <laughs> yeah, so
3: And this does come from the damp forests of southern Chile, um, so it would grow well at Mount Dandenong, it grows well at Macedon, you'd probably grow it up in the northeast, but it might be a struggle to grow it in suburban Melbourne. Uh, I think it might just get too hot for it and I'm collapse. sure I couldn't. Yeah, well, up at Seville, I think you'd be a bit exposed and dry for it up there in mm. the summer, I think. But it is just beautiful, and when you see one in full bloom, mm. um, I mean... You know, when you see Gravilla robusta in flower, or you see things like uh, Illawarra flame trees in flower, it's got that sort of iconic mass of brilliant color, and it just knocks your socks off it's the yes. most amazing thing in bloom and you don't see it for sale very often for obvious reasons it's not well it's easy enough to propagate but it's not that easy to grow on because you do need specific climate to keep it in but I thought it's really interesting to have a plant from Tasmania and one from Chile uh, in the same genus uh, and to see the variations that the genus has created in the different continents
0: and they've got that lovely jacarandary leaf which yes. is Fines. so attractive it, because of its fineness. and it lets the light through it gives yes, you shade right. but it's yeah. not unpleasantly dense. Yeah, I think they're gorgeous.
3: So, yes, so I'm, I'm on the hunt for more species within that genus. I love them. I think they're beautiful plants. And they do seem to fall through the net a wee bit in native nurseries. You don't see that many lamatias for sale mm. in native nurseries. I've seen
0: them in Sue's nursery. Yeah, mm. yes,
3: yes, you would. I'm sure you would. Uh, in fact, I should have a talk to Sue about that. She might have some I need to add to my collection. There's a thought. <laughs> uh, so, yes, I think they're gorgeous. So the lamatias and uh, uh, it's only a smallish genus. I don't think there's that many species in the genus there's i think two or three from chile and rest of australian um and uh, yeah so you could have the national collection of them if you had the right sort of climatic conditions
0: there you go <laughs> and register with plant trust yes exactly <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay Stephen. while we're uh, we're talking about around the world oh yes we should actually mention um the trips you've got coming up with yeah. asa
3: well if somebody puts their socks on and runs like mad, they could join my French tour, which, uh, is coming up, uh, on the 10th of June. So it's not that far away. So you'd need your, you'd need to already have your passport in order. Um, uh, but we do have still a couple of spaces left on the French tour if people wanted to join it. Uh, it's the garden chateaus and villages of northwestern France. So all up through Normandy and the Loire Valley. Um, and it is, well, Pam knows it's a stunning tour. Oh, it's, Brilliant. Yeah, yeah the, Brilliant. the places we go to and the, uh, and the gardens we see and you, and you see the Bayeux tapestries and you go to the beach landing sites and we visit a war cemetery. We, we, we go to the Fine Art Gallery in Rouen. We, we see the Apocalypse tapestries at Angers. Um, so it's not just about gardens. It's a whole cultural tour. Um, you you'll see more gilt furniture than you've ever seen in your life before. <laughs> uh, lots of gilding everywhere in some of those chateaux, um, and yeah, it is really quite a tour. So that's coming up on the tenth of June. So and you...
1: and, and we should uh, I, I need to add to that because you haven't enticed people enough because one of the things that really stood out that you and I were drooling over in the in the actual gardens, particularly in the in the um, in the Loire was the fact that so many of these gorgeous gardens have got running streams through oh them God and it's yes. to die for. Yeah,
3: it's really, really annoying. Because <laughs> <laughs> you go to these places and the, green, and the grass is always green and lush and there's little bubbling brooks and big streams and things bubbling up out of the ground all over the place. Uh, and, and you've got weird things like ornamental grasses and hostas growing in the same bed. and mm. you know, uh, Shade loving things out in full light and, and, and you know, roses covered in clematis. And um, it's just such a verdant place. Oh. It is just so lush and gorgeous. Um, and and uh, of
1: course, Normandy is, is almost the, the fruit bowl, the vegetable yeah. bowl of, of, of France. Yeah. I mean, it's so productive.
3: Blow grow bloody good cider and, and Calvados and stuff there <laughs> as well uh, so you have to eat good food you have to drink good wine, you have to have good cider uh, we have some meals in some of the chateaus um, uh, some of the owners are very kind and they let us in and we, we sit there and eat off their sort of um, uh, crockery and, and with their Georgian silver uh, cutlery and their, and their Waterford crystal glasses and, and all that sort of stuff and, and it is a really good tour so if you're at all interested get in touch with um Australians studying abroad post haste and i might add too that we've had a we had our madagascan tour filled uh, and we've had a couple drop out uh through health issues um so the madagascan tour is coming up on the uh from the 9th to the 31st of october uh, so you have got a tiny bit of spa- space here if you wanted to join that tour um and, uh, so I've got a space for a couple, uh, on that tour, a 20. And shed. it
1: really is an opportunity. I mean, hmm. because you, you can't just decide to go to Madagascar on your own. It's oh. going to be way too impossible. It it's really, really is.
3: difficult to do on your own. I mean, you could do it, but then you'd but still you, have to hire a local oh. to a, Guide. Guide and all that sort of thing to get around. And I remember when Craig and I did it um, the first time back in the mid-90s, we did exactly that. Uh, we arrived in Antananarivo, we found ourselves an agency, we went in there and negotiated with them not speaking any English to speak of and us not speaking any French to speak of. Um, and we ended up hiring a a car for the four or five weeks we were there with a driver and we had to book a couple of flights to get from different parts and what have you. It was probably the most expensive trip we've ever done in our lives. Yes. Uh, It was seriously expensive, but it was the only way we could do it. Uh, We spent five weeks there um, and it was fabulous. I mean, I don't regret a moment of it, but it was quite fraught and quite difficult yes. to deal with. Um, and so to go to Madagascar with an organised tour like this means it takes all the thinking out of it. And we, we hit all the high spots. Um, you'll see um, uh, baobab trees. You'll see spiny forest plants. You'll see tropical forests. You'll see... I don't know how many species of lemurs we saw, an <laughs> awful lot, an awful lot of lemurs. A lot of lemurs. We, we chameleons,
7: saw chameleons yes. the, the
3: we most saw, amazing creatures. We saw creatures. the tiniest chameleons right up to the biggest chameleons. <laughs> um, so we saw a lot of stuff. and uh, and so that trip was filled, but we do have space for two more people. Um, uh, We only take 16, so it's quite a small group uh, because of accommodation requirements and things over there. It's as big as we can get, Uh, so it's a reasonably small group. Um, And so if anybody's ever thought they'd like to do that, this is a prime opportunity. And just to sow seeds of thought um, next year, and I haven't got the paperwork in front of you, but next year I am leading a tour to the south of France uh, and that will be in May um, so if anybody's interested they might like to start making inquiries about that tour as well, so we'll be doing the Côte d'Azur and all that sort of area down in Provence. the south of France yeah, Provence, all that sort of thing uh, and it looks like it'll be a fantastic tour as well, so I'm looking forward to doing that one so, so that's one coming up so there you go Rushing around the world, having a good time. But somebody's got to do it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That number again, if you'd like to join us this morning, you are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show, and we'd love to hear from you. 94190155. That's 94190155. Incidentally, I should... uh, put a call out to uh Teresa in Noble Park Teresa I did receive your letter and I have responded to you um, you should uh, receive a letter from me in the mail um, hopefully early next week so uh thank you for writing in and uh and uh as I say hopefully you'll hear from me very soon Alright, uh, we would Where like are the
3: mothers <laughs> this morning? Are they sleeping <laughs> well, in? Well,
1: they're having breakfast in bed, Stephen. Well, they
3: could talk to us and sort of spit crumbs all over well, the bed. Well, it's a bit hard this. when
1: they're munching on a piece of toast yes, and having yeah. a cup of yeah, But, right, uh, but yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure once breakfast's out of the way, yes. they'll, uh, they'll manage to emerge and give us a call. Virginia, you've brought in a heap of stuff. Let's get started on some of
0: yours. Well, one of mine, which makes it, the whole thing look huge, is a Almost a piece of tree, really. (laughs) It's the Mexican tree daisy. It's uh, Montanoa by I can't remember it By Thank you You No wonder you couldn't remember (laughs) it No (laughs) No. I can remember how to write it But not say it (laughs) Say that
2: that again (laughs) Stephen By He's very good He's been
3: practising Yeah it's like having a (laughs) medical He
2: (laughs) he said that in such a relaxed way That it just flowed Well some of
3: those names (laughs) I now have down pat But some of them I still struggle over But I always figure If you say it with conviction People will believe You know what you're saying Even if you don't Yes even if you don't know But yes the Mexican treat Daisies are lovely. They sort of grow a bit like a tree dahlia in a way.
0: Well, I've got two of them, mm. and they both must be 12 or 15 foot high. Okay. And they're almost as wide. Yeah. And at the moment, if, you write, if you're down at my neighbours, which is a mile away, you can see them. They're just because they're absolutely covered in white. Daisies, they've got a yellow centre. They're, they're, I mean, they've they've faded overnight in the car, but they're absolutely. Didn't pick well, did it? (laughs) No. And they're just gobsmacking because they're so. But they do that. I cut them to the ground each year and they grow that Mm. 15 feet in a year. Wow. I don't know what would happen if I left them alone.
3: I can tell you what happens if you leave them alone. Uh, They get more and more twiggy and they'll sort of go over like a big old buddlier. And. Mine actually is going through its second year without being cut down at the moment uh, because I didn't get round to taking it down last year. Uh, And it does seem to me that it's going to make it later flowering too for some reason or another. I don't quite know why. I would have thought it might have been the opposite way around and it would come into flower earlier. Um, But um, uh, I do find them a bit frost tender at Macedon. So sometimes they come out into flower and the frost (laughs) knocks them so they go all black. Um, But in less
2: frosty areas, they are fantastic, the Mexican tree daisies. Can you Uh, use them in things up like a shed or anything like that? You would, uh,
3: except of course that when you have to prune them down, uh, you're going to expose the shed again, but that would only be for a comparatively short time. Mm. Yes,
0: they're they're quick growing, Mm -hmm. and they Mm. are, I mean, when they're in bloom like at the Mm. moment, they are just fabulous. I mean, it's one of the things I find ironic about the open garden scheme, closing their gardens. My garden is looking absolutely stunning at the moment, and will continue to do so right through the winter. Mm. All my camellias, which will flower... Between all the different ones I've got, will flower for months. Mm. Mm. Will flower right across the yeah, um, all the, winter. the winter. Yeah. And this thing is absolutely superb. I'll chop it down. Mm. Um, it is big. You wouldn't want to put it in a suburban front yard
3: well unless you just wanted one thing in the suburban <laughs> front yard then maybe you could put in a montanoa mm. uh but they are the thing i love about them when you talk about the the speed of growth and things that's actually part of their charm it's mm. like the tree day you can sort of watch them grow and there's this excitement of watching this thing sort of erupt into mm. this humongous hmm. thing all in one season mm. um, and i think they're great but i do find that that one you brought along today is the only one that i find marginally cold hardy enough i've actually killed a couple of the other species with the cold up at Macedon. Uh, there's one i think called hibisca flora or mm, something like mm. that and that seems to be much more frost tender and i killed that very quickly
0: i find with this I do, where i've planted it it's quite safe but where sue's put hers she finds it quite brittle
3: Oh, yes, they can snap. Mm. Yeah. And the
0: birds can snap them, whereas I've got mm-hmm. it in amongst a whole lot of rhododendrons and camellias, So it's, of it's bit quite got It is quite protected, mm. yes. yes. Yeah, yeah, it's the
3: same with the tree day. You're out mm. too much exposure and they and tend to snap bang. in the wind mm. and yep. all that sort of stuff. I've so
2: seen them growing up through climbing roses. Mm-hmm. Things like climbing the Lorraine Lee and that sort of thing, and they sort of support one another. Mm-hmm. And um, he must be really a bugger good. to
3: prune one of them, though.
2: Oh, that's what I was
3: thinking. How do you get in to cut it down? Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. I'm not sure about climbing roses and other things that need to be pruned with them.
2: Oh, you've yeah. got to be adventurous, Steve. Oh,
3: <laughs> I think you've, you've got to be a bit masochistic, actually. <laughs> <laughs> or mad. Or mad. <laughs> or yeah. mad. Yeah. Exactly.
1: <laughs> okay, we better go to our first caller, and we have uh, Pam in Kinton. Good morning, Pam.
7: Hello, all of you down there, telling me all these things that make me feel very envious. <laughs>
3: it's all right, Pam. You can grow some things that other people can't.
7: I can't at the moment. Everything's been dead from frost. Oh, oh dear. Yes,
3: you've me. had a few up in Kyneton already, haven't you?
7: Two weeks of frost. I yeah. can't get over it. We've never had this much frost before. Oh, goodness. Anyway, I've been trying to save my daddies and I was doing a good job putting frost cloth on every night and then one night I forgot. Oh, yeah.
3: <laughs> oh well, they'll come back again. <laughs>
7: mm. <laughs> yes. Anyway, Stephen, I wanted to ask you about Azara's. Yeah. Um, I I had um. Well, I'm sitting on top of the hill that looks down over the river valley, Mm. which they've now just decimated. Everything's been flattened and dug out and burned.
3: Yes, all those Um, willows.
7: Yes, all those, you know. So now we have a drain. Um... And they're building a bridge, the new bridge on the estate over the other side of the river, which I'm going to be able to see now from my back door. Yeah. And I wanted to put a screening tree in, but I didn't want anything too dense. Yeah. And I thought an Azara might be a good choice. What do you think? Well,
3: I wouldn't talk you out of it. I think it's a lovely little tree. <laughs> um, Azara Microphila was, is the, I think, the pinnacle of the genus, right. uh, so it's the one I'd go for uh, if you're looking for something like that. It'll grow to about well I've got a couple of old ones in the garden at home and they'd be about four metres tall yeah. uh, not overly wide, they'd probably be a couple of metres through and they're just very light and airy and when they flower in sort of late August uh, you won't see the flowers particularly but the scent of vanilla will waft all over the garden and it's just fantastic, I love it in fact I, went, I love the plant so much that I've got one in my back garden I've, no, I've got two in my back garden, on either side of a path, so you walk between them. I've got one out in the front garden, and and I convinced one of my neighbours across the road to plant one, uh, because now I can pick up the perfume of a zara almost everywhere I go in the garden when they're when they're in flower, and it's jazz
2: fantastic. It's getting the neighbours organised isn't it? Yeah well
3: actually I've been known to go to a neighbour and say look I'd like you to have this plant and I think it should go there because it will benefit your garden no end. But it will benefit me too. I couldn't see my neighbour doing that somehow
7: or another it's not a gum
3: tree. Yeah. All right. well anyhow I would suggest that a Zara microfiler would do the job for you well Um, it's reasonably cold hardy it Mm. will cope with a bit of sun in the summer Uh, it's quickish growing so it shouldn't take take you too long to get a decent sized plant mm. um, and uh, yeah, so why not indeed if you just want a light airy little evergreen tree it's pretty hard to toss
7: and so the fifty dollar question do you have one in the nursery
3: i've got some at the moment, I'm not sure whether I've got any eight inch pot ones left, but I did have a few of those and i I know I've got a nice little batch in sixes all right, and they'd be you know sort of about 30 centimetres or so tall uh, and if they don't become a metre tall within 12 months I'd be surprised
7: Yeah, ok, alright so, so you've mainly just got them in the 6
3: inches I think right. so, there, there may still be an 8 inch pot one up there Pam, but yes. I, I, I wouldn't like to promise you that and then right. find I'd sold out
7: And, uh, and Stephen, just the days that you're not open
3: Not open Wednesdays and Thursdays That's what I
7: thought, mm-hmm. ok So I might call in one day during the week
3: What a good idea. Have a
7: little poke
8: around.
3: Yeah, we'll do that, because I'm going away uh, in about 10 days. Mm. So if you get up whilst I'm still there, you can, I mean, my my lady friends that look after my nursery are exceedingly good, but uh, um, they don't know where everything is. Yeah. Nor do I, actually, really, when I think about (laughs) it, but uh, I probably have a better crack at it than they do. (laughs) That's
7: all right, Stephen. I'm happy to have a search. Yep, good. (laughs) All right. Okay, then, I'll see you one day during the week. Pans. Thank you for that. So Good on your
2: Pam. So, it, So it flowers in
3: August. Yeah, around about August. And that's when days. you get
2: the, the vanilla perfume. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, the Good. flowers
3: are so tiny you won't really see them. They're just a little cluster of stamens right. uh, in amongst the branches, mm-hmm. and they're mm, just a slightly show, paler shade of green than the leaves are. So uh, the, the tree almost doesn't change year-round. It just looks it exactly m- the same.
0: It would be too big underneath... Um, Power lines. Just. Had to be just. I, I've, I've got the same problem. I've, I have a new neighbour who's built the ugliest shed on the highest part of his block so we can all see it. Oh, gold. And I want to plant something I was going to put in she-oaks, but then I realised, ah, oh, power lines yeah. won't work. So I need something.
3: Yeah, you need something shorter.
0: And that, preferably native so that the council won't take it out. So
3: is this going to go on your nature strip? or mm, On it, their
0: nature strip. Uh, yeah, well,
3: <laughs> I still see it as my nature strip mm-hmm. is the way I look at these things. They expect you to mow it, so yeah. you know, uh, I know officially it's their land, but they do expect you to look after your nature strip, so I see it as mine <laughs> and, and have done the whole time I've been where I am, and it is mine now uh, because I... Um, uh, I garden all the way to the street, much to the annoyance of some people apparently. Um, but I see it as ground that needs using. Yep. Yeah. So, so you've got power lines over the top, mm. and you need something that's going to grow. Probably, you wouldn't want anything much more than three or four metres, then, would you?
0: No, I think three, because I just and I, and again, I don't want something too thick, because mm. they've also. Built right in the middle of my view. Yeah. Um, so I'd just like to break the effect yeah. of this. They've got well, this huge that, shed. That, that, that
3: lamacia p- I was telling you about, um, Fraser Eye, uh, the, the native one, that rarely grows above the four metres. Um, it would be prunable. It's got that lovely, soft, fluffy foliage, so it is see-through, mm. but it would disguise it and I think it would be tough enough it seems to be reasonably drought tolerant I mean because this is on my
0: west. yeah mm.
3: um, I, I think that could be worth having a crack at and it's very pretty when it's in flower with these white fluffy mm. flowers I don't know um, Roger and Gwen of course would have probably 25 other examples of uh, native plants that would probably do exactly the right thing for you but certainly well I'm,
0: I'm yeah. going to Cranbourne tomorrow so I'm going to have a bit of a look ah good idea mm.
3: yes yes you might find just the plant you're looking for yes
0: yes Okay, uh, if you'd
1: like to join us this morning, that number 94190155.
0: Virginia, next plant. This next one, it's not quite as pretty as it should be because it's nearly finished flowering. But this time last year, I went rushing, I was covering for Stephen here. It was about two weeks ago. And I was walking around my garden thinking, oh, what will I talk about tomorrow? What will I take in? And I saw this plant which I'd seen that morning because it's outside my bedroom window, that, oh, this looks stunning. It's got the most unusual white flower, which has only got three petals.
3: It's almost like a scavola to look yes, at in yes, sense, it, in a You get that fan flowery look. Yep. Yeah.
0: Except that it's five foot high mm. and covered in these white flowers. I thought, oh, I'll talk about that. So I took a nice photo of it. And went rushing down to Tesla's, which was the reason I was covering for Stephen here, because he was at Tesla's and said, Stephen, what's this? And he didn't know. And I was yeah, so I said i
3: don 't know, which is something i don 't often have to say unfortunately
0: you 've never said it to me before I was so thrilled
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh, i'd never come across this plant, but when you explain the plant, uh, the reasoning is fairly obvious when you think about it because mm. it just hasn 't been here. No, mm.
0: I then wandered around everyone else. I went to the both the U miners, I went to antique perennials, I saw Jeremy, I asked Jeremy, none of them knew. So the next, when I, I came down the next day, did the radio show, went back up to Seville, rang Meg, Salvia Meg, and said, Meg, would you come over for a cup of tea tomorrow? Mm. I Thought, well, maybe she'll know. She walked in. I said, Meg, what's that? And she said, Oh, Ranunculus <laughs> <laughs> Oh, of course, I yes, said. <laughs> yes, yes,
3: yes. Yeah. Did you ever get it with a name or?
0: No. Well, the story is that were there were some. Um, tours to china that were plant hunting tours and terry from the chinese beds in the botanic gardens and her equivalent in the sydney botanic gardens were on these tours and they brought back the seed for this plant and it took them 17 years to name it Mm. and it's it's now named of course and I only know one other person who is in plant trust in Victoria who's got it. It's in the in our botanic gardens, and it's huge in the botanic gardens. And when it's in flower, it's just stunning. But I saw it when I went up to a uh, botanic guides conference in Sydney. It was in Mount Tomar. There. Oh, I am. And apparently the Sydney Friends sell it. And if you look on on blogs from Sydney. There's a number of people there who grow it. So it is around, but it's not around in Victoria. So what I've got to do is actually give people. It's, it's acanthaceae, so I imagine it's very easy to propagate. It should be
3: easy to propagate. Uh, I think it's going to be borderline for me to grow it because we've had this issue with brilliantasia, which is a relative of it, um, and I'm just about struggle to keep it going through the winter in the greenhouse.
0: Is brilliantasia your acanthaceae? Yeah. Ah.
3: Yeah, So, and when you really think about it, they've got a similar sort of structure yes, to them and yes, all that sort of stuff. They do, they look quite... Like uh, and so my brilliantasia is still in bloom in a 10-inch pot in the greenhouse, but the leaves are starting already to go a bit sort of yellowish and mean looking, and it's starting to look a bit sad already.
0: Mine look fine, I've just mm-hmm. pruned them. Yeah.
3: yeah. yeah could, so I'll could, be interested to know whether the rhinocanthus... Could, could you grow it from cuttings? Well, that's what we're hoping.
0: I um, it has spread. It's it's people say does it run? No, it dawdles. Mm. But I have got a second one that's come up a bit further on. So mine, I'm, mine. <laughs> well, I thought you could take this and have yeah, a go and at that. Yeah, I might t- that's if I why can I cut such a big big yeah. piece to bring in. But it is it is lovely and it is rare. It's got good leaves,
3: big, boldly veined Mm. leaves, Mm. uh, and the white flowers, they are just gorgeous. They've got sort of a pinkish background to them, but I guess from a distance in the garden it would look fairly
4: clean white. Yeah,
0: it it does. The bud has got a slight pinkish, purplish Mm. tinge, and then it comes out very white. And what is, it's that scavularish, just the three petals, three petals on only one half of the plant, and it Mm. makes it very, very... Extraordinary when you look at it
2: And the leaf's very um, interesting uh, Ribbed isn't it yeah. mm. oh, And it's, a uh, it's got a real character polish. You mm. know some
0: of the justicia You get those very big leaf justicias ah, yeah. And they've got a similar leaf mm. Mm. I've become terribly fond of that canthaceae. There's some gorgeous
3: plants mm. in that in that family. Mm. Uh, I remember when we were in Namibia, uh, there was some little sort of ground-hugging canthaceae. I can't remember what the genus names were now, but they were little flat things with these circles of blue flowers um, in in like little posies in the middle of them, and they sat flat to the ground so the elephants couldn't eat them. Ah, oh, they can stand on them though. Um, but um, yeah, so they and
0: when wonderful. we were, when we were in Mauritius, we we were climbing down to a stream, and it was just full of brilliant brilliantasia, mm. which here... Every, of blue. It was mm. extraordinary. And here everyone grows it in quite dr- dry circumstances and in sunny circumstances, and this was in the shade, in the water, mm. and the, it was just...
3: In the tropics. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, it was absolutely wonderful. Yeah,
3: yeah, so, yeah, so the rhinocanthus is beautiful. Mm. I just think it's a lovely, lovely plant. So and I think, I'm going the, to try.
0: I think for the first time it might have been in the Friends sale in, in Melbourne. So that's oh, one okay. place to watch for it. Yeah, yeah right. Well, mm. it's
3: an obvious source if, uh, if the Friends are growing it. Yes. So, yes, they hopefully will build up quantity of it to and
0: sell. And one of our members in Plant Trust, he found it on eBay from Sydney. Ah. So it is vaguely available. But mm. hopefully we'll get it going and people can have it. Uh, what we must do is have some for our AGM next year.
3: All right. Well, there's, there's a w- challenge. We need to grow it, and it. then I, I will get a huge price for it at our AGM, AGM. Uh, auction. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, next plant, Virginia. Well, the next one I brought in because I thought Stephen might be able to tell me something about it. I got it from one of my friends who was pulling it out, which I thought was crazy. It has the, It's pokeweed, mm. Um fighter lacquer and it has the most, it has got purple stems. It grows, it's, it's a shrub, it's probably five or six foot in my yeah. vegetable garden. And um, why it's in the vegetable garden? I put it in the vegetable garden because my vegetable garden is caged and I was worried the seeds might be weedy.
3: It, look, it does come up from seed around, so you do have to watch it a bit. It could have, I don't think it's on any weed lists at this stage, but uh, there could be weed issues with Phytolacchia. So, yes, it's, it's possibly one of those plants that could be an issue. And you can use the berries to make ink.
0: And apparently it's medicinal as well, but I think it's all poisonous and medicinal.
3: Yeah, well, a lot of things are. Ah, Digitalis is medicinal as well, but Mm. you certainly don't want to go munching on digitalis leaves.
0: But it's absolutely beautiful because it has got a really, really bright purple flower followed by an inky purple um, seed pod. And they're both out at the same time, like this bit of it is just coming into flower and this has been in in pod for for weeks and weeks and weeks. So it it is extremely noticeable, very, very striking with the purple stem, the green leaves, and the veins on the leaves is purple, Mm. so it's really very, very, very noticeable, but I don't know which Vitalacra it is. I
3: think it's Americana, but I wouldn't like to be held to task on that one. Um, uh, There are a number of them. Um, There's a couple that are tree-like.
0: I remember a song from late 70s, early 80s, Salatani. And one of them is a, is called poke salad. It's not salad, but salad. S a l a t. Yeah. And there used to be a song when I was younger called Poke Salad Annie, which was I loved. It was a great song.
2: The, the, the colour in the flowers rather amazing, isn't it? It's oh a,
0: yes. I don't know yeah. what how you describe it. I mean, yeah. it is is purple, it's, but it's vibrant.
2: Yeah, it's mm.
3: it's in the pink purple. Spectrum, mm. so it's not the blue purple side of things, it's the mm. pink purple. So you'd probably call it sort of a magenta, yes,
2: mm. yes, yeah. You know, yeah, something like that. What what we're still striving for to get in that color in the rose, mm. yes, mm.
0: yes, it's a st- well, it's apart a from the blue one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's it bit, is, it's it a is bit a bit r-
2: like the color of black caviar, the rose, mm. yes. Mm-hmm.
0: It, well, this is it is a really beautiful beautiful thing and it's a very quick
3: growing plant so if you if you do have one it will grow up into a big bulky plant in no time flat
0: and i presume you can grow it quite easily from cuttings yeah and and look you you will find
3: i'm almost positive you'll get the odd self-sown seedling coming up around your vegetable garden now well
0: i've had it for a couple of years and i haven't yet yeah but let's
3: give it time (laughs) yeah let's hope yeah yeah
4: all right
1: Um, quick growing does it mean it's it's quick dying too no not
3: particularly but you you will find that in due course it'll start to get a bit sort of leggy and scruffy looking and you'll need to give it a good Solid haircut, mm. uh, and then it will come back again. Mm. Um, I'd, I mean, I guess it won't live as long as an oak tree, but I don't think it's particularly short lived. So it will go on for quite a long time. And I've never tried it, but I would imagine it would be quite easy to strike it in a glass of water. Uh, it's not that sort of hard to propagate, I don't think. So,
0: yeah.
1: Yeah. The, the colour of it reminds me of that really dark budlia
0: yes Mm. it is the the very vibrant purple there. it's beautiful isn't it yes they've just put a whole lot of those buddlies in one of the new beds they've done in the garden oh have they yeah it's stunning oh that'll look wonderful Mm. Mm. it is it's very very bright Mm.
1: okay
9: oh look we've got a we do have a couple
1: of calls so we'll go next to uh let me see um
0: I find it quite an exciting plant, so I'm going to give you that to try and prop too. All right, I'll, okay. s- I'll stick some cuttings in today.
1: Okay, we'll try and go to uh, to Reg, who's in McKinnon. Good morning, Reg. Good morning. Go ahead.
9: Um, I have. I, I went to Heronswood in uh, in December, mm-hmm. and I bought a, 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 a was in a little pot of a New, a New Zealand yam.
3: Yes, Oxalis tuberosa.
9: Yes. Um, I did put it into the ground but it didn't like it. It was a sort of sandy situation and, and so I put it into a pot. Mm-hmm. It's grown quite well. Um, I've, we've had a couple of little tubers uh, to eat. I'm just wondering whether I should lift it up now and then plant them out some more or just leave it over the, over the winter.
3: Uh, if you want to get it to multiply, you're going to probably have to lift the tubers and replant them again uh, a little further apart. Um, and if, you, if your soil isn't suitable to grow the New Zealand yam I mean, I'd probably grow them in polystyrene boxes or something like that. So you could sort of row out your tubers. I mean, if you're going to get enough to make decent meals out of it, you've got to grow more than you'd get in an 8-inch pot.
9: Oh no, this is, this is a, a reasonable pot it's, it's, it's not huge but it's probably 15 inches
3: Yeah, well that's not too bad But nonetheless you're still not going to get a decent meal or two uh, Out of whatever you can produce in a pot that size So I'd be growing them in polystyrene boxes I'd put about half a dozen tubers to the box uh, And if you put it in a good rich composty um, material uh, You should have half a polystyrene box full of tubers for next year
9: Okay, I'll do that. Thank you very much for your
3: information. That's a pleasure. Bye bye.
0: One of the other plants I brought in was an oxalis.
3: But not like the normal oxalis either. Um, Uh oh. Uh oh,
6: we have.
0: Yes, we have a problem. (laughs) Sorry. This oxalis is Oxalis peduncularis. And it's a tropical oxalis. Yeah. It's,
3: it's actually a sort of a succulenty one. Yes, isn't it? It, it
0: doesn't have bulbs. No. You no, know, it's, and, and it's, I think, very, it's, a, again, another unusual colour. It's a very, very yellow flower, and it has a, a, almost a gingery colour to it as well. Yeah. So it's a beautiful thing. And, I, and when you look it up on the net, it says it's a, tr- they call it a tree oxalis. Well, mine is at least ankle high. Yeah. And it doesn't yeah. look like well, it's going I'm, to get any bigger.
3: And it won't get that much bigger. Although, having said that, I guess if you compare it to the Bulbous oxalis, it's almost tree-like. <laughs> <laughs> almost. Uh, I, I might add there's an oxalis that comes from uh, Namidia and that area called Oxalis gigantea, which is actually a deciduous, thorny shrub. It looks almost like one of those weird euphorbias, um, and it comes up and it gets to about a metre, metre and a half tall. Ooh, lovely. It gets huge yellow flowers on it, and it spends a good part of the year without leaves on, so it's just these tall, spiky stems, um, and then when they do get some rain, it'll come out into leaf uh, flower and do its thing and then go back it into um, so uh, its dormancy again. So there's
4: it's, some amazing ones.
0: It's in such an interesting genus. I went to Ferny Creek yesterday, and... There was an oxalis in the raffle, Hmm. and because of that I bought double raffle tickets, needless to say, I didn't didn't get get the oxalis, no. But, you know, there were people, what's that doing there? It's a weed. Oh, and and then there was those of us like me who bought double tickets to try and get it, and it was the first one, there was four plants in the raffle, the first person chose the oxalis. Well, there you go.
3: Do we know which one it was?
0: No, it oh. wasn't labelled, but, it, but the flower was one, I, I've got quite a lot of oxalis, so I didn't have it, so I... Oh, damn,
3: it could have been one I don't have too. <laughs> uh.
0: But Greg told me he has real trouble with this.
3: Oh yes, it's very frost tender, I couldn't grow it at Macedon unless I kept it in the greenhouse in the, in the winter. Yes. Uh, I did have it for a short time, years and years ago somebody gave it to me because I was collecting oxalis, so it came my way. And,
0: and one of the things on the net it said you can grow it from cuttings, although I don't yeah, nowhere, I mean I don't know whether, I wouldn't think you could grow up from yeah, the probably, leaf no,
3: no, you'd need a lo- slightly longer stem than that I reckon. But and, and
0: there isn't really mm. I mean I've, it's got short stems and, and then a lot of leaf and then the flower's coming up quite high above the leaf it, I think it's rather a fine thing. I, I stuck it near my side door and it seems to me that that is just giving it enough protection because it made it through the winter. Have, yeah. have a go at taking some
2: cuttings in the flower stems when, yes. once they harden off a bit It's exactly what you can get good roses to grow from with cuttings too.
0: What, from flower stems? Yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. When I take a cutting, I never take a flower But let them
2: harden harden off a bit, just getting to finish, and they're they're harder. But if you take it too early, they're too soft. Too soft, yeah. yeah. Mm. Sappy, yes. So there we go.
3: Oxalis made it in again.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's go to our next caller, and we have uh, Emma from Fernie Creek. Good morning, Emma. Good morning. morning, everyone. Am I coming
7: through okay? Yes, yes. you are. Okay. Um, yeah, so I just wanted to first of all thank Virginia for
6: a great talk um, yesterday. It was really um, quite inspiring in uh, volunteer
0: week. So thank you, Virginia. Thank you, Em.
6: And um, I, one of our um, matriarchs at our, at our um, society, Maisie James, brought up um, a cutting from Encheanthus and the autumn colour in it was absolutely stunning. But um, we were just wondering if you could talk generally about the other varieties of Encheanthus and which um, are best for autumn colour and mm. the, um, the flowering colours in spring?
3: Yeah, well Enchianthus is a smallish genus of shrubs from Asia in the Ericaceae family, so they're related to the Rhododendrons, Azaleas, Ericas, all that group, uh, so they do like an acid soil, they do like a mulched soil and they would make very good companion plants for Azaleas, Rhododendrons, etc, etc, etc. The main species available in this country are Campanulatus, which has pink-veined flowers in the spring and a very tiered, layered sort of shrub, almost a pagoda-like plant. Um, and it goes into the sort of bright orangey colours in autumn as a rule. Um, Perillatus is probably the best of them for autumn colour, Uh, it goes brilliant scarlet in the autumn and has tiny white flowers but is notoriously difficult to propagate Uh, so it's very rarely available for sale and it makes a sort of a more dome shaped bush probably, well there's a big old one on Mount Macedon in one of the gardens It's probably been there for 80 or 100 years and it would probably be 2 metres by 2 metres. (coughs) I've got one in the garden at the nursery. It's about 20 years old, and it's about a metre by about half a metre.
0: And how do you you propagate it?
3: Layering seems to be the most sensible way to propagate it, but, of course, from layers you only get a very small number of plants back, so it's not a very commercial management way. That was what
0: Maisie said about hers, because I said to her, that's absolutely beautiful, and she said, it can be air-layered, but the easiest thing is to layer it. Nobody's been able to propagate it. And then, of course, Otto said, well, I have. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> of
3: course Otto has um, But um, this year I'm actually going to try raising it from seed as well uh, There should be no reason why I can't grow it from seed I've got plenty of seed forming on my plant And I've got access to the ones up on Mount Macedon as well So I can get plenty of seed uh, But it will need to be done in a sealed container Sown on the top of peat moss like you would a rhododendron or something like that So I'm going to give it a crack this year Because I'm getting sick of having this gorgeous perillatus in the nursery garden And very rarely having a plant to sell to people I think I've got three or four little ones in six-inch pots that were grown from layers. Mm. Um, But I'm never going to get rich out of that. Um, Mm. So perillatus and and campanulatus are two of the most commonly seen ones around, although not always that easy to get. Deflexus is similar to campanulatus except the petals curl back, but its autumn color and its spring flowers are much the same. And the other one that is worth looking out for is one called Serious Rubens, which is C-E-R-U-U-S Rubens. You can't say W. (laughs) (laughs) because <laughs> <laughs> then people misspell it yeah. um, and it has the same form as, as perillatus and it does go brilliant burgundy reds in the autumn but its flowers are a sort of a dark coppery brown um, doesn't sound actually that good but it is actually really pretty when you see them in flower so they're the main ones that you'll see there are other species out there but they're, they're so rarely available in any species or form um, I would snap up any Enchianthus when I saw one uh, if you're in the right climatic zone to grow them
0: it's, that's exactly the reason, isn't it, Emma, that we talk about needing plant trust. I mean, its I just thought it was so beautiful when, she, when Maisie brought that in, and yet it is so hard to find, not because it's that difficult to grow but it just isn't propagated and people don't sell it
3: Mm, Yeah, yes, Yes, and look I would never sell an Ankyanthus probably if I didn't have a couple of decent sized ones in the garden so that people can see what they do as they get older, but they're a great plant because they have good form, they have good autumn colour they have attractive spring blossom uh, and yeah, they look a bit unique, they're soft and light and airy so they're they're good to take away some of the stodginess of azaleas and rhododendrons Uh, and of course because of their autumn colour they give you something out of sync with them as far as colours can I think the Ancheanthus are a great group of plants. Thank you. Thanks,
1: everyone. Righto. Bye. Bye. You are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. In the studio this morning, we have Stephen Ryan from Dixonia Rare Plants. Virginia Haywood, who's a guide there at uh, the Botanic Gardens in Melbourne, and Graham Sargent from Silky's Rose Farm in Clombernane. So, we'd love to hear from you. We're running through until 9.15, so you've got a little bit of time to jump on the phones. That number again nine four one nine zero one
0: double five. What have we got left for dinner? Well salvias. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yes. <laughs> I know it is a shock when I bring in a salvia. Yes. But I do have over a hundred in my garden, so it's very hard not to. Mm. And at the moment there a whole lot of them are just coming out. This one is out and is absolutely beautiful and is a really big flower and it's taken the journey down in the car very, very badly. Yes. <laughs> And this one, I've got about five of this around the garden, and it's just in bud. And as you can see from the size of the bud, it's a really big flower. Now, this is pink icicles and oxyphora. The oxyphora is a really, really um, bright, soft pink. That sounds like a contradiction in terms, but it's a really unusual pink flower. Uh, It's quite big. It's at least shoulder high. It comes from Bolivia, and it's in flower now, and absolutely beautiful,
3: and would probably frost
0: i've got for a me, I don't know yes it is Bolivia but I think it comes from high Bolivia and Mm. Meg's got it in her garden and she gets frost so
3: she can grow salvias I can't I know that because I've bought them from her and lost them (laughs) (laughs) Uh, in several occasions Uh, so I don't as much as I adore Meg dearly I don't take her garden as necessarily uh, a thing that would translate to mine yeah Uh, well
0: I think only because she has got Really big trees yeah, she's very she, sheltered Where she, she is She's got the trees She does get the frost though mm, I yeah. get I only get a little I've had one frost or, mm. But it, my frosts I've never I've been alive. waiting
3: for some frosts To blet the meddlers And firm mm. the pumpkins But we really haven't had much I know no, Pam has I, I haven't has. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm going to have to Pick the pumpkins no matter what Because we're going away In a couple of weeks' time So I need to have them picked and put away in the shed. Uh, I think I told you I had a pumpkin came up from seed that went up over my chook shed this year, which was fantastic. It's turned out to be one of those beautiful Japanese pumpkins with the spots. Okay. And I've got five humongous pumpkins sitting on this vine. Oh, well done. Very excited. So uh, I think I'll get Craig to paint it when we get home.
1: Did you have to support the pumpkins?
3: No, they just hung on them. They,
1: they just managed they just to hung hold there. the weight. And,
3: in fact, the, the two of them that are on the side, because a couple of them are on vines that ran on the ground, yeah, yeah. Uh, but the two that are on the side of the, the chook shed, uh, the vine supported them perfectly well, and they're absolutely perfectly shaped. Because you know how a pumpkin, when it sits on the ground, yeah, tends that's to become right. malformed on yep. one side. Yep. I reckon I could win best in show with these <laughs> pumpkins. They look stunning.
0: Right. My, um, my pumpkins <laughs> always get eaten by rats. Oh, do they? Mm. Yeah. Uh.
2: Well, you can come to our place and get some gourds. Oh, right. We have um, pr- probably about 15 different colours in gourds oh, lovely. And I took some to our, our local gliby. florist <laughs> And the local florist said I've never seen such quality And I said they're organically grown mate <laughs> Yes, <laughs> beautiful <laughs> oh. So if anybody comes to well, the to nursery today They can get, take home some gourds
0: Well mine are all organically eaten by rats Hmm. Oh, I presume it's rats no, it I can't probably imagine what else oh, I yeah. would be
3: Yeah, yeah it'll yeah. be rats Yes yeah, yeah. so that, that reminds me I must pick mine Because of that potential issue mm. Before we go away Otherwise they won't be there When I get home No
0: that's right they'll, They won't they'll be They'll be there They'll just have nasty holes in them Yeah hmm. Hmm. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry
2: you should um, Use some baits for your rats I'm sorry mm. You need to get into The the baiting for the rats
0: And the, and the rabbits
2: But uh, World Health Organisation t- Tell us that there's A rat and a mouse for every human in, on the earth, and they said it'll never ever be any different. Mm. Because they're the scavengers and the cleaner uppers.
3: Yeah, in which case you've almost got to say, well, they're doing a got good a place. job. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Except not at my place. <laughs> yeah, no, get, I get not my of, pumpkins. Yeah, I get plenty of rats and mice at our place because we've created a habitat. Because we've got chalks, yeah.
2: You've so got, yes, no, you, being scratched, sorry, you have got to control them. They're, they're expecting mice plagues this year, yeah. especially up in the in the grain country. Yeah. Yes, because
0: mm. I've got mice for the first time in ages yeah, coming into the, in the kitchen. Ha- yeah, mm. I've had two
3: in the house, mm. which mysteriously died when they ate something. Mm. <laughs> um, but yes, I, I found I found one in the box in the cupboard where I keep the dog biscuits. Mm. Oh. I put my hand down in there, and there was a oh. furry thing.
2: Mm, but mice, my, right. my carriers of salmonella. Mm. Yeah, that's it's a, a problem. We used to get problems in some of the Chinese. Yeah, I wanted Chinese to shops. Off,
3: open a cafe called Salmonella's. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: the um, some of the Chinese establishments were, would would um, put rice in some drying out racks, and the mice used to get stuck into them, mm. and uh, oh, that was a worry. Mm. 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 All right.
1: Okay, let's get to a couple more callers. Uh, first up, we have Julian out in Thomastown. Good morning, Julian. Mm-hmm.
2: And, uh, well, that was a and Julian,
3: you've got your radio on. All right. Okay,
4: let's get to a couple
3: more Julian, mm-hmm. Julian you need to turn your radio off. Hello? And, of course, you won't hear this until 30 seconds later. Hello.
10: Hello. Yes. Go ahead, Julian. Yes, sir. Uh, uh, I got a figure uh, Yes. Yes, we're listening. Yeah, and uh, you know a lot... And a bit bit too small. I'd like to know what sort of uh, fertilizer you give
3: that. Well, if you've got small Fijoas, they'll probably always be small Fijoas because it's more likely to be the variety. sorry, sorry. sorry. If you've got small Fijoas, they'll probably always be small Fijoas because it's more likely to be the form of the plant you've got.
10: Yeah, but some of, some of them, uh, n- not a bad size, but m- more, more small one. Yeah,
3: you know? well, I still think it's probably the variety more than anything else.
10: But, Stephen, also, so, if he has too yeah, many... But, or, what mm, sort of you- fertilizer do you give them?
3: Well, you just give them a general feeding like you would anything else in the garden, so good compost, animal manures, blood and bone, all that sort of stuff is fine. Yeah. And
10: acid, uh, acid? acid. It
3: look, it really won't matter with fijos because they, oh, yeah. they're not specific as to whether they like acid or alkaline soil. Well, but Virginia matter. suggested also maybe if it's a really heavy crop, you oh, might heavy, need to thin right. them. No.
1: Thin the crop a little bit as well, Julian, if in you've
0: got s- a heavy crop. In m- spring, next year when the crop comes... Thin yeah, but, uh, the crop so you've got uh, so
10: fewer. When, when actually you want to gi- uh, give it? Uh, in spring?
3: Oh, the fertilising, yes, I would feed it in the spring, but Virginia's suggesting that it, when the fruit starts to form, oh, you yeah. probably need to go through and take some of the fruit off. Oh, yeah. You know, so thin out the crop so that the tree doesn't have to support as many fruit. Yeah.
10: Is, that, is that normal when they drop, they all drop?
3: Yeah, yeah, when they drop, that's when you, you that's pick when them up rot. and eat them. Mm.
10: Yeah, but it's very hard. They bit hard there. I, when I be about a week, then I can be soft.
3: Yeah, well that's that. Well, you'd still let them drop off the tree first, and then yes, if they're not hardened or if they're not softened, well then you just bring uh, them inside. When, and
10: when they drop, it, they they bit firm. Yeah, but yeah, then well, they'll ripen indoors. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, 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 we I remember my, uh, we didn't, didn't have a they ripe. We mm-hmm.
0: didn't have a very hot summer this year. Mm. Yeah, true.
3: Yeah, and that's also part of the scenario, yeah. so it can even,
10: be. Even I got a, an orange tree. This year, they all, they
3: all split. Yeah, I've got a fair few split oranges as well. Yeah. And uh, I just ignore that. I get enough oranges anyway, and I just throw the, the uh, split ones into the compost or wherever else. Um, I always figure that I'm, most of these trees, I have more fruit than I can use, so I don't, I don't get mm-hmm. panicky about that sort of thing. So um, I just pick the good ones.
10: Okay, then, anyway.
3: All Thank right, Julian.
10: Thanks very much. That's okay. a pleasure. Bye. Thank you, bye.
1: Right, next up we
6: have uh, Mim out in Carnegie. Good morning, Mim. Good morning, all. Um, It's really basically about pot sizes. Uh, My ground is so revolting, I thought I'd try and get the black boy rose that you gave me zillions of years ago. Um, I took it out of the ground because it wasn't happy. It's much happier in a pot, but what's a good size to keep it in?
2: If you're growing Black Boy, you'll need a decent-sized pot.
6: Like what?
2: Uh, well, in the old language, you need, need at least 18 inches in diameter. Right. And w- you'll need to change the potting mix every year. Oh, goody. So, okay. if, uh, well, well, Black Boy is so vigorous, you'll, you would need to do that. So you need to um, get a tarp and tip the pot out and yep. also cut the roots off every second year. Cut huh? half of the roots off. In, oh, in the oh. pot.
6: Right.
2: Okay, because the yeah, the so roots of the black boy will fill up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. the, the, the roots fill up in the pot. That's yeah. why roses are so drought-tough and drought-tolerant. They've got massive root systems, you see. But when you put them in the pot, um, the, the, uh, they just fill the whole pot up. And when you water, the water runs down the inside of the pot.
9: Yes, I realise.
2: And, and you'll look at the rose and think, oh, it's not doing really well, and simply because it's, it's missing out of water.
0: Could uh-huh. Could Mim make um, effectively a pot in the ground? Dig a really, really big hole yes. and put lots and lots of good soil in that, and, and then put it back in the ground. Like, yep. do you understand what I'm saying, Mim? Maybe actually make a pot in the ground. Good idea. Uh, you mean um, just a
6: really good nourishing
0: area? Yes. Make a real dig, or oh. get somebody else to dig a really big hole, mm-hmm. and then fill it with really good potting mix and put it in there Mm. and treat as if it's in a pot so fertilize it etc because eventually it would probably get out into the bad soil as well Mm. but it would have that really big base to start from
6: yes I would love I prefer to do that but I'm sure my sand would gobble it up immediately
2: all right well if you do that and then you keep topping the pot up with Mm. a good lot of compost Leave yep. a good um, weir in the top of the pot, keep topping that up and fertilise through that. In the soil? Yep. Mm. Yeah, and yeah. if I had a really sandy soil too, I'd be inclined to add
3: clay.
6: Where? From? Into the
3: ground. Uh, Peter no Campbell no, 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 always used to yeah, make what? up a clay slurry. Uh, where, and, where to mm.
6: access it? Pardon? Where to where access it? It's clay.
3: I don't know. Mim, I'm just giving you the answer, not how to deal with it. Um, somewhere. Uh, there must be somewhere. You, you must could...
1: have a friend who has
6: clay soil. Yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. Not too many. Yeah. Um, not...
3: Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, well, give it some thought. I mean, you know, I've, I've thrown something in here into the mix that's slightly offbeat, but um, if you can add clay particles to a sandy soil see the problem with adding humus Mm. is that the humus keeps rotting down and disappearing Yes, so you've got to keep it up all the time and Mm. and you probably know better than most of us Mim how um, it's almost like trying to fill a colander with water Uh, it just keeps going and going and disappearing the whole time Mm -hmm. Um, but if you can actually add clay particles to a sandy soil the clay particles will stay around and so you can actually create more Mm. of a mixed soil
0: and we and we go back to the, my idea of digging a really big hole so that you're making a pot in the ground for your rose mm-hmm. and if you could get some clay into that that would really give it a a, a, yeah, a good the way of starting. do like starting. a little
3: bit of clay Oh yeah, clay, they?
2: oh yeah. They, they, quite they like, like the clay. Clay holds the good minerals too. Yeah. yeah.
3: yeah. yeah. So that's it, that's it what is, I would be tempted to do is make some um, make some clay slurries and and water that into the ground or dig it in um, yeah. and uh, create a clayey soil in your sand.
6: This would
3: be lovely if I could. Yeah. Well, it's worth a crack. Because I mean, the the you know the effort that you're going to have to put in, as Graham said, to growing this rose well in a pot uh, and getting it to perform year after year uh, is going to be fairly onerous at times. Mm. I mean, it, and as we get a little bit older, it's harder to pull things out of pots mm. and clean their roots and all that sort of stuff. So if you can get it into the ground, it's probably actually a good idea.
2: And and oh. black black boy is a very vigorous rose. So and size hole. I'm sorry.
6: Size of hole.
2: As
3: big as you can make it. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> well, that leaves plenty of room for I can't make it a hugely big hole because I can't manage it so the rose will have to cope, or I can make a big hole and then the rose will actually flourish.
0: Hmm. The other thing, you just make it the size that of the pot you're going to put it in. You'd ha- hmm. If you're putting it in a pot that you have to change the soil every year, yeah. I mean, that sounds to me quite onerous. Yes. So you know you've got two choices, both of them onerous. One maybe singly onerous, i.e. dig a really big hole. No, get somebody else to dig a really yeah. big hole. Yes. yes, get
3: some young man in with muscles. I always, find, I think that's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, it could be win-win, Mim. You can
0: wander out there with a
3: cup of tea and you know sort of have a chat and, <laughs> and you know
0: watch you, somebody else dig. I like that. Some, bit. Yeah,
3: watching work is always good fun. I can do the
6: digging if, if I can find an area that the. Surrounding roots of other trees and, and things will let me. Yeah, yes. well, there's always that um, in an
3: established garden as well.
6: Yeah. Um, okay, then also keeping a fruit tree in a pot.
3: Well, if I was going to grow a fruit tree in a pot, I'd want uh, one on a dwarfing rootstock yes. to start with. Mm, certainly. So I'd make sure I bought the right. Cold bar, yeah. uh, yes. and there's dwarfish versions of almost everything now oh. uh, is it true i've heard there's a dwarf avocado even now
1: yes though it's i mean they call it dwarf by other avocado yes. standards but it's not that, that time
3: yeah, yeah it's not that time no but yeah so i'd certainly select a dwarf variety i'd get a large container i'd want something at least the size of a half wooden barrel um yep. and i would fill that up with a good quality potting mix um yep. Most fruit trees need to be out in a fairly open, sunny aspect if they're going to perform well, uh, and you do need to keep regularly feeding them in a pot because they're going to need that sort of yeah. extra nutrient every year.
6: Yep, yep, okay. You can cool. have
2: a yarn with Fleming's about dwarfing rootstock for fruit trees.
0: Mm. And or, somebody oh, has I've just... Got, I've got some coming in June. Oh, oh okay, okay, good. And, Mim, somebody has just come and said the cat litter from Coles or Safeways mm. is made up of clay pellets. So there's a thought. There
3: is a thought. Do, will the clay pellets, though, actually break down? Who knows? Because that's what you need, because you need the fine particles. You don't want the big particles, oh, because good. the sand is already big the particles. particles, yeah. yes,
0: because that is the difference between sand and clay. Clay is tiny particles and sand is big particles. Yeah, um, yeah. So okay. it's a very good mix if you can just find some. Well, I'll find some of that in someone else's clay. Yes. yes, that's exactly. the way to go, Mim. You're
3: on
4: a
6: mission.
3: Don't get caught stealing it out of the forest or anything, though, will you?
6: Yeah. Oh no.
3: No, no, I wouldn't do that.
6: Oh, okay. That's right. Thank you.
1: Okay, then. Bye. Bye. Yes, it's always. Um a bit of an issue, but it's, it's honestly the only way to really deal with a, a sandy soil. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It really is. It and, makes and, sense. And in
3: converse, if you've got a really clay soil, add some sand. And some sand or coarse gravel. That's right. Uh, because you, both you those open products are permanent in the ground, so mm-hmm. they will have a long-standing benefit. But you know, you can add as much humus as you like both into clay soils and into sandy soils and you have to keep doing it the whole time. You can't mm. just sort of go, it's done now. Yes. Uh, but if you can get those sort of materials in, it makes a huge difference. You still need to use your organic materials, though. Yes, You've got I'm to balance up the microbes. Yeah, yeah, I'm not suggesting you don't. Oh, no, uh, and you still
1: need to feed
3: it. Yeah, and you still need to feed it and stuff, but it, it will change the structure of your soil if you can get enough of the opposite material in. Mm. So clay in sandy soils or a, a sandy gravelly material into clay soils. Mm. Mm. Uh,
1: so would you say ideally a 50-50?
3: If you can. Yeah. Um, uh, I know when I was trench composting in my garden, because that was the way I developed soil to start with because i had yellow clay um me and my crowbar got quite close over the years uh and uh i've still got the calluses to prove it i think um and i would dig a trench down as deep as i could go two spade depths if i could Mm. i took the clay out and then i'd use that trench for composting and mulching and stuff so i'd throw my vegetable scraps in i'd throw the spent potting mix from the nursery which is where i got my Sandy, gravelly Mm -hmm. stuff. Ah, Oh yes. So all the spent potting mix would come home. I still bring all that stuff home. Yep. Um, And leaf litter, grass cuttings, anything I could find that was organic. Uh, I'd buy bags of manure on the sides of the road and things like that. Uh, And I would put that into the trench. And as I was filling the trench with that, I would also dig the trench next door. So I'd be digging the trench next door and mixing that clay into the stuff underneath. Yes. And by the time I had that one filled, it was higher than it started although they always do go down a bit, Uh, and I had the next trench dug. Yep. And so it was about a 50 50 mix. And I yep. just kept working my way across the garden. And I, it only took me 30 years to create soil. <laughs> uh, but I might add one of the best times of my life was when I was doing the bed outside the front veranda because I could take the kitchen bucket out and just throw it over the veranda into the trench. I thought, oh! <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, it was, it, there <laughs> was, something, yeah, there was something cathartic about just <laughs> yes. uh, hoiking your stuff straight over the veranda. Um, mm-hmm. And so I did that for years. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I would then plant the beds afterwards. I've never. Never re-dug the beds again um, but I would plant the beds afterwards and sometimes rather quickly I mean I'd dig a hole and there'd be a bit of orange peel had come up or whatever. Um, and I never had any losses doing that. All the plants grew well because there was mm. plenty of potting mix and other stuff through it as well. Yeah. Um, and now all I do is I just top it up with mulches and feeds. So every year I try and get in and put down some sort of manure or whatever and then I put down my mulches and I try and vary those. Mm. I just have this sense that the more diversity I put into the ground, the better off the ground is going to be. Oh, absolutely. Mm. You know, so, I mean, I'm not working from a scientific formula or anything. No, no, no. But um, that's the way I work it. And I, and I waste nothing you know everything goes in you know the mm. ashes out of the out of the open fire uh they go into the compost or sprinkled over the garden in moderation because you can yes. get a claggy layer definitely of that definitely mo- yes. in moderation yeah, yeah. But, but i've got a big enough garden that mm-hmm. i can't create enough ash to make it an issue mm. so it just gets sprinkled around i always say it's like putting salt on your chips yeah mm. you know it's it's not like putting cheese on your pizza. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the,
2: the ashes out of the fire can be a challenge because of the pH. Yeah. And we've been doing some tests on on ashes out of the fire, and, and the pH is down to about 5.5, 5.6. I thought it was alkaline. Mm. Yeah. No, it was. It got. It, it got. It depends on the wood that's being burnt in the mm. in the actual fire, and that's the same sort of thing with with biochar, which which um which is more um, 6.5 in its pH. Which and is actually
3: close to neutral, which is yeah. pretty yes, good. yes that's mm. not bad, yeah, yeah that's pretty good, mm. but yeah so I, I I think any of these things in moderation you can 't do any harm with it 's when you mm. overdo any product, yeah. and generally speaking, in most gardens we don 't if we 're using our own uh, organic waste around the garden, we don 't produce anything in such vast quantities i mean we 're not running orphanages where we 're squeezing fifty thousand oranges a morning for orange juice or something, uh, the few orange peels we create or the few lemons, uh, uh, onion skins we create or whatever, none of it's going to be enough
2: to disbalance anything it just becomes part of the... That's a big yeah. or- orphanage uh, Stephen, yeah. 50,000 orange peels yeah, well, well, every day I was there
3: for me to exaggerate but you know, it's, you know it, I was just making a point Yes, <laughs> um, you know, so about
2: 50,000 oranges. Yeah. yeah that's
3: right exactly uh, and probably they buy pre-squeezed juice anyway but uh, that's, you know, that's That's beside the point. But there you go. So, yeah, so use it all, but use it in moderation, and then you can't do really any harm to anything. I have have
0: too too many lemons for my compost.
3: Yeah, well, maybe. That's a
0: problem. But then I do have. You do have a
1: whole orchard of, of lemon lemons, trees. Yes.
3: <laughs> yeah, you know, see, that therein is something that most people don't have an issue with. I mean, I'm lucky to be able to find enough lemons for the gin and tonics I want in the summer without, you know, having to worry about disposing of yes. <laughs> leftover lemons. So well,
0: I've just, even though I've got 15 lemon trees, I've just planted a kaffir lime because I want the kaffir lime leaves in my gin and tonic next mm-hmm. summer. Yeah. Because well, I love a kaffir lime leaf in the gin yeah. and tonic. I think that's.
3: Well, if you're ever up my way, I can give you plenty of kaffir lime leaves. Uh, my tree is huge
0: So it doesn't have a problem with the frost I no. thought it would No, it, it,
3: it sometimes gets a little nipped on the tops uh, mm. If we get really heavy frosts uh, But yeah, my kaffir lime is taller than this studio easily and, and, and probably three metres through
2: It's huge
0: And where have you Because ca- I haven't planted mine yet Because I can't well, decide
2: Mine's
3: in my citrus walk,
0: of course Oh, <laughs> can you? Where can else?
2: you get kaffir limes on dwarf roots? I don't know
3: I've, ne- I've never heard of such a thing But I don't see why it's impossible I mean, mm. if they can grow after craft a lemon onto a dwarfing rootstock, yeah. you'd use the same rootstock. But whether you could get a kaffir lime on a dwarfing rootstock, I don't know. Because I've always got more leaves than I'll ever use. Mm-hmm. Uh, I use them, actually, I, I, when I'm cooking whole fish in my fish, mm. fish oven thing that I shove in the oven. I put a layer of kaffir lime leaves down because then the skin doesn't stick to the metal underneath.
0: Mm.
3: Uh, so it keeps the fish intact mm-hmm. uh, and it infuses it with a nice lemony.
0: I, think, I think the kaffir lime leaf is lovely. Mm. Mm.
3: Yeah, we all should have them
1: We have got a board full of callers So we need to uh, get a move on We're going first to Bettina Who's in Richmond Good morning Bettina Good morning
8: um, I have a little issue with uh, My avocado tree Right mm-hmm. he, uh, a, Look, I have an unusual situation I've got a backyard in Richmond It's a, it's a little uh, mini brick courtyard And has raised garden beds on the side And there's tree appeared from seed one time. Right.
3: <laughs> As they have a tendency to do. <laughs>
10: they do.
8: As they do. Um, and it's underneath a date palm, so it's in the, you know, literally it's a tree growing in the Deadly Bone Desert. So um, uh, my problem, I have two things with it. One uh, was uh, at one point um, the leaves were going a really strange, like leaves were falling off by themselves and they were a strange colour. They kind of were skeletonising in the way you could almost and it was they were discoloring uh, around everywhere, but where the veins are,
4: mm.
8: I didn't know if that was a nutritional deficiency or, or something. I couldn't sort of find out anything about. It. Does anyone know about that first? And then I'll ask my other. I question. would say a nutrient problem.
3: Yeah, especially if it's, it's, it's virtually under a palm tree. Yes, mm. exactly. Uh.
1: The palm tree is taking all the nutrition out of the soil.
8: Mm. Yeah. Okay. Good. Okay. Good. And the other ter- the other problem, which is probably pretty common, is. Uh, the possums love uh, it. I was
3: oh, going yeah. to say, have you got any possums around? <laughs> I was going to ask you that question before you actually, <laughs> actually asked the question, because um, they do like avocado trees.
8: Yeah, they're eating so pretty much for about head height up. Cause yeah. Eat,
0: yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, and I think you just have to learn to live with that, my dear.
8: Yeah,
3: yeah. Because even if you, even if a possum moves on, another one will move in. Yep.
0: Yeah.
8: Yeah, well, I this is, this is like, I mean, we're surrounded by dogs. There's three dogs next door. I have a dog. So below head height, nothing's happening. Nice. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the possum's by. not going to come dog's down working. that far. Yeah,
3: <laughs> uh, yeah the, I guess you could take the top off the avocado tree and just have it down at, a lower level and just keep pruning it down uh, but you're not going to solve the possum issue otherwise no. it's just going to always yeah, be there
1: the only other I, comment i would make is that if this is virtually a self-sown avocado that's come from a stone an avocado stone there is no guarantees that you're going to get any fruit oh i have you have already
8: yeah oh well done so it's, it's probably the see it's probably a uh, four or five metres, so it's above head height, so let's see. It says about four metres high, four yep. or five metres high. My plan is to keep it shorter than it is right now, and it's had it had, well, nine fruit originally on it this year. I've eaten or
0: gotten, there'll be five,
8: six, six
0: of it. Excellent. Well, That's great. Yep, you've done well, Bettina.
3: Yeah. Yep. Yes, <laughs> I, I would just uh, revel in your successes, really.
0: <laughs> well, so I'd give it a good feed. Right
8: this you yeah, thanks very
3: much. Okay.
5: and moving right along. Yes,'ve
1: uh, we're really going to run out of time if we don't get a wriggle on. We have uh, our good friend Ken in sunshine. Good morning, Ken. Good morning
5: everybody. Stephen, your mum took me back forty three years ago when we first shifted into our house. Yeah, I worked for the gas and fuel and I got tons and tons of coke dust. I took my trailer down to where they used to make it. Yeah. And also, too, I um, I, I got tons and tons of sand. Yeah. And I dug it in. I must, I couldn't do it now. <laughs> I well, it, I don't
3: think I'd want to start off I, doing what I did way back.
5: I dug it every night. I dig the front, and then the next night I dig the front before I went, or the back before I went to bed. And I did that till September. I planted I planted the with the trees and stuff like that. But the lawn, I did that in September So it was pretty good was, I couldn't mm. do it now though nah. I, I, nah. No, that sounds like a lot of hard camera. work mm. Alright, thank you very much okay, mm. well See you done. later Ken Bye
1: Bye. All right, uh, next we're going to John who's in Blackburn Good morning John
5: Oh, good morning. Uh, If I could make a very quick little comment first sure. Uh, I, I'm sure Virginia's right about the Fajoas. I've got mm. two Fajora trees And they produce a carpet of small Fajoras But they can produce big ones it's Every year I discover I haven't thinned them enough uh, and the variety names were mammoth and large oval for what that's worth.
3: <laughs> well, they sound like the appropriate names. <laughs> <Yeah>.
5: <laughs> but each year I think I sh- should thin them more. But my question was, uh, Stephen, a few, of four or five years ago, I bought from you a uh, uh, Lindera angustifolia. Yeah. Which, uh, and each year, as, as promised, it uh, it does quite, quite nice autumn leaves, nice yeah. yellowy, orange, and then they go brown. Uh, the first year, it went absolutely brilliant scarlet. It was just and I was just wondering is there any management technique, you can try to, try to re- recover that glory, no. or do you have to uh, depend on the it's weather? It's got
3: a lot to do with the weather, and also aspect in the garden, so um, the more light they can get without getting the stinking heat of the 45 degrees, howling northwesterly type days that we occasionally now get, um, the richer the colour is likely to be, but you probably, it, it probably had that colour already in it when you bought it from me, um, and so it was going to turn that colour the first year. Oh, okay. Uh, but I think, you're going to, I think you're going to have to be happy most of the time with the sort of more orangey shades that you're likely to get in Melbourne suburbia. Yeah,
5: I, I am happy. It's not really worth the effort of taking it for a holiday to massive. Yeah, it? well, you mm-hmm. can always bring it back and, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and give it a
3: holiday with me every so often. But no, uh, I think the colour you're getting with your Lindera is probably what you're going to... Expect most years
0: That's what you get in Blackburn Yes Because mm. it is actually A combination of cold and sun That mm. makes the colour
5: Yep yeah, Okay Well anyway I'm very happy with it anyway so oh, It's a lovely little tree And it's doing alright Is it John? Yeah yeah sure it, It's on the south side of the house So <coughs> it gets sort of Some hot sun in summer When the sun moves around yeah. South and west But uh, it's mostly shaded most of the time, but, yeah, it's going well. And then the fruit looks quite nice
3: too. Yeah, it gets a little, quite pretty little berries on it. It's a, it's a charming tree. I, uh, I think I might have been the one that bought it into the country years ago. I got it from seed from New Zealand. Oh, congratulations. Uh, and uh, so it's getting about a little bit now. The boys up at Yamina are growing it, and I think Tulangi Wholesale Nursery is growing it now too. And it's a charming little autumn colouring tree, really yeah. pretty. Okay,
5: thank you very much. It's a you. pleasure. Bye. Okay, bye
1: Right, and next we have uh, Tom out in Barry. Good morning, Tom. Good morning. Go ahead.
6: Uh, about the lemon, a lemon tree. Mm. I yes. I think they call it gall. Mm. Yes. Um, what what's the solution to get rid of it? There is Shop no, them off.
3: There's no proper solution per se, but yes, you've got to take the galls out on a regular basis if you're going to keep the trees
6: clean. Well, if I took the gall out, I would I would have a non. Lemon
3: tree. Yes. Yeah.
1: That's, that's the problem. Exist. You have to do it every year.
3: Yeah. so once you've got Once you've got If you, once you've you got clean them. the tree out, uh, you will end up with a skeletal lemon tree uh, for a while, but it will reshoot from all. It will reshoot,
1: wood. no yeah. problem.
3: Uh, and you may not get any fruit for a while, but once you've done that, then you assiduously every year remove any galls that you find, um, and hopefully if you're doing it on a regular basis, you won't have to chop the tree back in such a vicious way again.
0: And you vi- visit your neighbours and make sure they're doing it as well.
6: Yes, and is it easily, easy to identify when it starts?
3: Not really, because the, the, the wasp lays its eggs on the stem of the lemon tree uh, and they tunnel in and you only see the evidence once the gall starts to form. Yes. So that by that time the gall wasp is already there.
0: What some people do is just drill into the gall so that the that the the baby in the gall will die. Oh, I oh, yes. don't know how effective that is. And no, it,
3: and it's very slow and tedious. Yeah, Whereas if you go snip, you can cut them chop off. Chop it off. Uh, I don't think I'd be bothered.
0: But <laughs> the 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 wasp
1: emerges August to October, so you really need to do it at the latest by about. Um, June, July. July.
3: Yeah, yeah. Because that way I'm, you're getting I rid of next I'm year's goal.
1: Yeah, well, I'd 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 hoe into it now.
6: Yeah, all right. All right. Thank Thank you very much. Good okay. luck, Tom. Bye.
3: Yeah. Thank yes, wasp, I'm so glad that it hasn't found its way to Macedon yet.
0: You are incredibly lucky. Yeah. I haven't I haven't got it. I mean, can you imagine what's going to happen oh, to me well, with oh, fifteen you'd be trees? Mm.
2: Yeah. Yes, it'll and be a pain in the neck if you get and it. And if you cut it off, what should you do with it? Well, I burn, burn it. Burn Burn its brains
3: out, I throw it through the shredder. That's what I would do with it, Mm. because they're not going to survive the shredder.
0: No, that's true. But you can't keep them – you can't cut in July and not remember to shred. Oh, no, you have to do it it immediately. Immediately, yeah. 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 Yeah.
3: And, in fact, green waste going through a shredder is easier to deal with than dried up waste anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if I were pruning – Touch wood, I never have to. But if I were pruning my lemon trees for gall wasp, uh, I would be shredding the same day and throw it through the shredder and turn it into mulch because it, they're not going to survive the shredder.
0: No, you're right. Somebody told me that the there's a lemon orchard in Wandon that it's the largest in the Southern Hemisphere, and I always and I keep thinking what happens when the gall hits the Yarra Valley. Um, oh. Yeah, 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 yeah yes, it, it sounds
3: a bit frightening.
2: Yeah, it's a huge a huge um, lemon. Lemon um, orchard, and they're, they're mate, raw to the ground. Mm. Yeah, I think Peter Russell Clark was part of it. Okay, yeah.
0: it's now been bought by a Chinese family. Oh, Somebody is asking what time I'm doing my tour today. Unfortunately, it's a book tour, it, um, it's, for clim- it's a climate change walk, and it's already extremely full, so I can't open it. But there will be a walk at two o'clock, which another guide will be taking. So if anyone fancies a walk today, two o'clock it's a
3: great thing to do go for a walk around the botanic gardens and particularly Mm. if you do go with a guide because they can give you insights into things that you just wouldn't notice otherwise so exactly it's a good thing to do
1: yeah Mm. no it's a great idea we have run out of time for yet another week we got quite busy there at the Mm. end so i um,
3: won't see anybody for several weeks now
0: no and i won't i won't see anyone for Two months.
3: Yeah, So I know. you're going away as well. I'll Everyone's be disappear. I'm off to my French tour, but before I do that, I'm going walking in the Canary Islands for 11 days. Well,
2: you can all go and be full of leisure, and I'm going to be flat out doing bare rooted roses. Oh. <laughs> oh. Think of me as you, your leisure. I'll around. go,
3: yes, I don't grow roses. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: okay, you have been listening to the 3CR gardening show. We will, of course, be back again at 7.30 next Sunday morning. A big thank you to Jenny who's been handling all the calls and, of course, a big thank you to all the panel who always give up their time to come in and uh, and try and impart some of the information to you. So uh, tune in next week. Until then, bye for now.